Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Co-hosts Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. In this episode, Dr. Nolan Scaife, security researcher, co-founder, and officer of University of Florida's first two security startups, CryptoDrop and Skim Reaper discuss common digital threats and the fundamental weaknesses in systems and networks. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Protect high-risk items using Bosch IP cameras with built-in video analytics. Send a video snapshot to a manager when a person loiters at a display or trigger an audio message to play through a loudspeaker when an item is touched while getting situational awareness using video verification solutions. Alert potential offenders that are being watched and improve customer service for legitimate shoppers, all with video analytics. Learn more about product protection in Zones 1 and 2 of the LPRC Zones of Influence or by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. All right. Well, welcome everybody back to another episode of LPRC's Crime Science brought to you here from Gainesville, Florida, home of the University of Florida. Um, And I'm joined today by my co-host, Tom Meehan, who's the Chief Strategy Officer for Control Tech um, and a longtime asset protection and loss prevention practitioner. Um, and between the two of us, uh, we like to delve into topics that hopefully help out practitioners out there primarily, whether it's an LPAP or law enforcement practitioner, um, but also uh, academics, students and faculty alike. Because um, what we're always trying to do, of course, is apply theory and method, you know, somewhat rigorous uh, applications to very relevant topics. We're trying to basically solve real world problems, but use a little more discipline around that. So today what we're going to do is um, we've talked to a lot of behavioral or social scientists like ourselves, um, practitioners. Today we're going to um, be joined by um, Nolan Scaife. Dr. Scaife um, is, in effect, a computer science um, and information science engineer. And uh, so it's a different perspective. Um We've worked with uh, Nolan for two, three, four years now, off and on, or he's worked uh, with us to help us figure out what in the world he's doing. But but he's always taken a practical approach. And I'm going to kind of go into uh, the background. So welcome here, Nolan, Dr. Scaife, um, if you will, and ask. I would like to ask you, you know, first, what was your background before you went to uh, grad school at the University of Florida? Yeah, so I... Uh I spent a number of years in industry. Uh, my my career started at uh, at uh, a telecom, Altel, uh, which is now part of Verizon and AT and T and so forth. And then I spent a number of years uh, working at Walmart uh, in their uh, security organization. Right, excellent. And uh, did some of that, or how did that lead to you deciding? You know what? I'm going to pursue higher learning, higher degrees to become X. How did that kind of play a role. Yeah, you know, when I was when I was going through my uh, my undergrad and master's degrees, I really wanted to get to the fundamentals of some of these problems uh, and how we can, you know, build better detection systems uh, for some problems that are out there in the real world. And, and that takes some some time and space to really think about those problems. Uh, and so that's ultimately what drew me here. All right, interesting. And how uh, how did the University of Florida come come into play? I mean, you're originally from Arkansas. That's where you were anyway. Yeah. And how did how did one lead to the other? Uh, yeah. So um, a few years ago, as part of the the UF Rising program, 
the state of Florida put some uh, put some big dollars into building a, a security organization here at the University of Florida, and and as part of that uh, investment, uh, they brought a, re- uh, a lot of really great faculty here from other uh, institutions, and uh, ultimately uh, the the quality of faculty was what brought me uh, specifically to UF. And you you've used the term security. Um, what part of security, of course, I know, but what part of security have you been mostly engaged in and going forward? Yeah, so I mean, you you might call this computer security or cybersecurity. Uh, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of different names, but uh, specifically, we're interested in the security properties of applications of computer science. Perfect. Okay, there you go. Um, so I was going to say, could you maybe describe? You talked about uh, there was some serious money that came over from the state of Florida under the RISE program and UF RISE and going greater, go greater. Um, but what did that look like? They brought in some outstanding faculty. How have they, what have they set up with those funds to date? And what does that look like? You know, because you've got this unique insider view into that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as part of that program, uh, like I said, they brought a ton of faculty from from other uh, from other universities and they put us all in one place. They call it the the Florida Institute for Cybersecurity Research. Uh, And it's uh, it's quite a few faculty. I I would guess it's uh, nearly or over 20 now uh, and uh, quite a few students now. um, And we're all under one roof uh, trying to solve these tough problems. Interesting. And so we were introduced to the team FIX, you know, Florida yeah. Institute for Cybersecurity Research, um, a few years ago. And, um, you know, professors, trainer, uh, and I'm trying to think we had two others come over here um, and work with us and meet with us initially. And we had uh, folks from Target came in and they were particularly interested in understanding what all's going on here. Um, but who are some of the outstanding faculty real quickly over there now in FIX or in the, in the program? Yeah, so there's uh, Patrick Trainer. Uh, he's my PhD advisor and a, and a close confidant. We've worked on on some of these problems together for a while. There's also uh, Kevin Butler, who who works on uh, who works on these kinds of problems, uh, especially in finance. Um, there's uh, Tom Shrimpton. He does cryptography and uh, practical applications thereof, uh, and 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 so many others. Yeah, so many others yeah. now. So. Um, uh, and one other thing I got to go to, I wanted to bring up, was I've been invited to an annual event that that uh, your team over there uh, puts on, uh, both for academia and for the industry. What's what's that called and look like? Uh, yeah, so that's the that's the annual fix conference, uh, and what they do is they they try to bring in. Uh, folks from industry, they try to bring in uh, academics. Of course, you can see what projects are going on in the labs with student presentations. Uh, but what they're really trying to do is get uh, both industry and academics in one place uh, uh, so that we can uh, identify the future problems and uh, possible solutions. Yeah. There you go. Okay, excellent. Um, what I'd like to do, Tom, let me go over to you. What are some initial questions or, or comments you've got? Uh, for Nolan. Yeah, thanks, Reed, and, and thanks, Noel, for coming on. I, uh, you know, our podcast has a, a varying listening audience from folks from academia, law enforcement, both local and federal, and then a, a predominant or retail asset protection piece. And I know that um, we often get questions on how we find guests. Obviously, you're with the university, but what you know, what can your your team do to really help retailers and retail chains? be better enabled in how they can prevent some of these cybersecurity incidents 
while keeping in mind that there needs to be a balance between prevention and, and customer service. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we've been doing here at UF and, and it's a, it's a methodology that I've uh, adopted and, and continues to inform what we're doing. And that's one of constraints, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of academic research doesn't make it to industry because it's not developed in such a way that, that, that makes sense. It's not ready for prime time as it, as it were, you know, we, we kind of stand up uh, these test beds, we test our solutions for these problems, and then you know maybe get a publication or two out of it, which is great, and that's what we need in, in the sciences. Um, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's this you know, tangible thing or this you know adoptable uh, set of you know methodologies or, or information that you can just uh, go pick up. And so what we're trying to do uh, is develop these solutions with some constraints. Uh, and and those constraints hopefully are the, the the differentiator for our research and it being actually able to be deployed in the real world. And is do you have like like a, a prime example or something where you would feel like would be a great example of where you were able to help a retailer or a retail chain or come up with a solution that has been adopted that was actually scalable or something that could you know is tangible for them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks. Uh, so. We uh, so in the last few in the last few years we've been looking at uh, the problem of card skimming, and in particular, uh, you know how we can better detect um, how we can better detect card skimmers. And so you know today for a lot of retailers, for a lot of law enforcement agencies, uh, this is a really manual process. And uh, having been out with law enforcement looking for skimmers, I can tell you, you know it takes a really keen, trained eye in many cases to detect these. Um, but we actually met uh, we actually met the NYPD at the uh, Impact Conference a couple of years ago, and they have been and fantastic partners with helping us get access to skimmer technology, helping us to uh, refine uh, the ideas that we had for detecting skimmers. And what this really, what this really amounted to was uh, we developed this device. It's called the Skim Reaper, uh, and it's a, it's a credit card-shaped device that you can swipe or dip onto a payment terminal and uh, essentially it counts the number of readers that are present. So uh, in, in most cases, when, when a criminal or somebody has come into your organization and they've put one of these you know, skimming devices that's designed to steal your customer's card data uh, onto or inside of the, the card acceptor, uh, uh, this will actually tell you if an abnormal number of devices is trying to to uh, read the read the card, uh, as it were. And so, uh, what this really allows uh, law enforcement and retailers to do is multiply the productivity. You know, so instead of having to train folks to 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 take the time uh, for a, for a small number of highly trained uh, employees to go or law enforcement agents uh, to go out and check for skimmers, uh, this can be done in just a few seconds and it will give you uh, a, a definitive result. Um, and so uh, what we're trying to do right now, this is actually a startup from our research. We're actually trying to get these manufactured as fast as we can um, because there's been so much interest in, uh, in, in this device and in solving this problem. And I had a quick question if I could, Nolan. Um, maybe without going into too much detail, but what's it kind of look like in problem solving? So we all know skimmers are an issue, uh, both 
inside the store in those uh, card reading machines, and then of course at fuel pumps outside the store um, in the parking lot, if you will. You know, but how how do you guys look at this as engineers? Because our listeners know, as criminologists or as behavioral scientists, we're going to break down a crime event um, into steps or stages that an offender or a group would have to go through to to consider and they them to consider a successful theft, fraud, or violence event. Um, and then we're going to do things about those steps. But you all, being more engineering and computer science. Um, scholars and scientists, how, how do you look at the problem and then how does that drive what you do from an R&D standpoint? Right. So, uh, you know, the biggest challenge for us when we got started was getting our hands on skimmers. And I know a lot of law enforcement agencies, I know a lot of retailers that are probably listening to this podcast right now have a box full of skimmers. Um, but as academics, it's hard for us to, to get our hands on those. And so um, the partnerships that we've made with law enforcement agencies here in the state of Florida and New York have uh, really helped us, you know, be able to, you know, what we call characterize or tear down, you know, the skimmers into um, into their constituent components. And so uh, what we did after that and, and, and the way that we... Um, the way that we attack this problem is to try to identify what is actually fundamental to the problem. You know, uh, the skimmers come in all different shapes and sizes um, and capabilities. You know, some of them have cameras built into them, some of them don't. Um, but in, in the vast majority of cases, especially in ATM and point of sale skimmers, uh, the most common way to attack these devices is to actually add a completely independent uh, uh, system for reading the card. So, you know, when you go into a store and you swipe your credit card and you're going to pay for your groceries, uh, this device is reading your card and the point of sale terminal is reading your card. And so once we had, you know, kind of uh, taken, um, once we had kind of uh, looked at what was fundamental to uh, to reading a card, you know, what did what does this kind of device have to do? Then it was uh, uh, not too far off from uh, us building a detection system for being able to detect when that was happening. Okay, so your your term then term of art is characterize. Yeah. So you're going to break this thing down, right. uh, whatever it is. What are some components of skimmers? I mean, what are some of the components for them to get the information? From you to them, yeah. So we've we have seen uh, we have seen a, a number of different uh, uh, styles of skimmer, uh, but this most common kind uh, you can imagine it has a magnetic read head. You've probably all seen those little uh, the little metal silver part of a card reader. Uh, they always have uh, some sort of mechanism for pushing the card onto the head. So maybe that's a spring or a wedge or something that, that, that kind of forces there to be some pressure there. Um, and then they'll have uh, other components that are kind of critical to being an electronic system. So there'll be a battery of some kind to power it. Uh, there'll be some kind of storage. In some cases, they may have uh, Bluetooth so that the criminal can just come back and get the card data. Actually, we've seen them with, uh, they'll have uh, uh, cellular modules uh, and a SIM card in there, so it'll just text the card data to the, to the criminal. Uh, and then we'll see you know, some that have capabilities like uh, cameras. So for example, especially in ATMs, uh, the card data is far more valuable to the criminal if they have the pin in order to, to get cash out of an ATM. So 
they'll use uh, they'll use things like cameras, they'll use things like pen pad overlays uh, that actually sit on top of the pen pad, so that when you know the customer is pressing in their pen, it actually presses through this device uh, and captures the pen. Uh, but ultimately, it's uh, they use they use incredibly small components. I mean, you can imagine that these uh, devices have to be small enough to uh, to not draw suspicion. You know, they're going to look, they feel like the the real payment terminal, what the consumer expects uh, to be there, and so uh, they're very very small in most cases. Okay. So working with uh, law enforcement a little bit, and, and I know you were working here locally in Alachua County, Sheriff's Office, Gainesville Police Department, um, and then as you all participated at the uh, LPRC Impact two years ago, you met uh, the people that are over the, I guess it was the Felony Division, NYPD's Felony Division. Uh, the, yeah, the Financial Crimes Task yes, Force, and yeah. The, and those task force resides in that division, and um, – but what is some of the things you've learned from law enforcement about that behavior um, and from their standpoint and the way they look at the skimmer issue versus, say, what you're doing? And does that help the more you know not just about the uh, digital or electronic components uh, but about how they're used and so on. Does that help or not? Or how does it help? If it no, it, it definitely does help. And um, in some of those cases, it's really driven the, the design decisions that we've made. So, you know, for example, uh, in, uh, in the, in, on ATMs, for example, you know, I mentioned that these have batteries uh, on them. Well, those batteries, they go dead. Uh, and so in a lot of cases, um, or in all the cases, actually, uh, the criminals have to come back and, and get them. And so uh, being able to produce something that can kind of quickly detect when a skimmer is present lets them actually uh, put a patrol officer or something or someone else uh, uh, to watch that skimmer so that when the criminal comes back to get it, they can actually arrest them on the spot. Okay. Interesting. What is, have you seen any other interesting approaches? You all look at the components, and you, in this case, um, you decided, look, uh, if I detect more than one thing is scanning or reading this card right now, we may have a problem. I'm going to light this thing up. I'm going to let the uh, user know, the Skim Reaper user know. Have you heard any other approaches that people looked at technologically that are out there and open? Yeah, so that's a great question. So, you know, uh, some of the some of the common advice that you would get for uh, protecting yourself against skimmers will say things like, you know, pull on the card reader. Um, of course, we know from working with the NYPD that you know, they use really strong uh, double-sided adhesives to stick those on, or in some cases, they actually fit, you know, so closely on there, you could say it maybe eclipses onto the onto the payment terminal, and so. Um, you know that's kind of a non de- non technical detection measure. Um, there are also uh, you may have heard of these apps that you can get for uh, smartphones. You know they say, oh, go to a um, go to a gas station, and you're going to you know run this app, and it's going to detect uh, Bluetooth skimmers. So you know some skimmers that are present in gas pumps, for example, they have Bluetooth. And you can imagine that that's because it's less risky for a criminal if they only have to open the pump once. And so they'll they'll drive up, they can just drive back through the gas station, use their phone and pick up pick up the card data. Um, but we actually did uh, 
we actually did a teardown of every one of these apps that's available for both iOS and, and Android describe phones. a teardown. Yeah, if you could. yeah. So we take so we take these so we take these apps, uh, and we uh, we do what's called uh, decompile them. Essentially, uh, it turns this uh, this app that you download back into code that we can look through. Uh, and so one of the things that you can find from that code is uh, the, the mechanism that it uses to detect skimmers. You know, so I, I give you, you know, this marketing description and it says, I'm going to give, I'm going to, here's an app that, uh, that can detect skimmers. And so as a, you know, as a computer scientist, I want to know, okay, well, how, how does this detect skimmers? And so that's what the teardown does. It lets us find the, those mechanisms that they're using uh, to, to detect skimmers. So we looked at these, uh, and we found kind of across the board, uh, that these apps are, they use really brittle ways of detecting, uh, the, yeah, Reed's showing me, uh, one of these apps right now on, on his phone. Um, they use really brittle, um, these really brittle mechanisms to do it. So, you know, it might be something as simple as, okay, I'm going to scan for Bluetooth devices. And if I have something that matches this name and I connect to it with this pin and I talk to it in this way and it responds, you know, in, in this other way, then it's definitively a skimmer. Of course, we know that that's, that's brittle. It only takes, you know, five to ten seconds to change it so that it won't uh, detect that. But on, on the worst side, uh, we actually found apps that, that don't detect skimmers. All they do is they'll show you an ad and then list, uh, you know, uh, give you a list of devices that are in range, any device that's in range, uh, and then tell you no skimmers are found. So there's there's this problem uh, here where, as a consumer, you really can't you really can't uh, measure the effectiveness of these. But uh, I guess more importantly, um, as far as skimmers go, not all skimmers use Bluetooth. So you know, you could. I mean, it's not unreasonable to think that there's a false sense of security that's given uh, to, to the users of these apps because we know some skimmers, uh, they use, uh, some skimmers use Bluetooth, some use cellular, as I mentioned before. Uh, some of them have to be retrieved. Um, and so there's no kind of universal uh, method for, for detecting those kinds of skimmers that way. Well, I guess it's like uh, police radar detectors, uh, but if the police are doing speed control and they're not using radar they're using, you know, LIDAR or another technology, then the same thing. It actually might work, but it's not going to work in this case, in this right. situation, because right. that's not what they're using. Uh, that So, okay, that's interesting. Because that was part of my, the intent of the question. What, you know, what else is going on? What are people trying out there? And like you say, some of these things are hardwired in. Uh, some of them are battery. Some you could, you've got to open it and access it with a whatever some kind of uh, card or whatever, and then others, Bluetooth, others cell, um, cellular or whatever it might be. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so many of the LPRC members, the 70 retail organizations and all their chains that they have, um, have a lot of skimmer issues, whether it's in-store readers or, of course, their fuel station, you know, the fuel pump readers, the skimmers that are out there. So of great interest how to do this. Can you tell me, uh, Nolan, I know in addition to the really neat stuff that you guys are doing, continue to do with skimmers and that detection and abatement there, um, what, are you, what else are you working on that would be of interest 
in this case, to a retail or restaurant community that are out there and the law enforcement that are supporting them, um, some of the other fraud issues that you guys are working on? Yeah. Uh, so uh, to, to kind of to get started on this, uh, answering this question, uh, we, uh, so there's lots of different other kinds of skimmers that, uh, you know, criminals are, criminals are, are moving, uh, moving the bar constantly. And so, um, you know, while this, while the skim reaper that I mentioned detects accurately, you know, these, uh, types of, uh, uh magnetic stripe skimmers, you know, there are now skimmers that, uh, will, that, that can skim uh, information when you use your phone to pay, or there are skimmers that can take your information when you use your chip to pay. Uh, and so there's all these different, uh, all these new different kinds of skimmers that are out there. And we're, we're trying really hard to find new ways to detect those. But outside of the, outside of the detection of uh, skimmers, we're also really interested in detecting what criminals do with those cards. So in a lot of cases, uh, you know, you can imagine that they get this data and then they, uh, this card data, you know, they count information uh, and they, they, they put it onto counterfeit cards and then they take those into a store. Um, or, you know, they'll go into a store, for example, and try to, uh, read the gift cards that are on the, that are on the racks and then wait until there's a balance on them. And then, you know, write that information to a blank counterfeit card and then take it into a store uh, and use it. And how might they know a balance has been put on these cards that are uh, right now they're inert? I mean, they're right. not yeah. activated. Yeah, so you can imagine the attack works uh, something like this. So, you know, they go in, uh, there, are, um, there are gift cards that are on a rack. Uh, they swipe the gift card uh, with, a, with a small uh, handheld magnetic stripe reader. Uh, they'll, uh, in some cases, gift cards don't have, uh, uh, the, the pen is not obscured on the back, so they might write down the pen. Or if they are obscured, you know, it's not hard to put another uh, sticker over the top of the, uh, over the top of the pen uh, to make it look like it hasn't been tampered with. And then they, you know, take the information, uh, you know, home and uh, they check the balance on it. So, you know, you check the balance, uh, it's not activated. You check the balance, it's not activated. You check it the third time and all of a sudden it's got $50 on it. Uh, and then you put that information onto a counterfeit card uh, and then take it back into the store. Okay. And there's obviously, it's time sensitive. So they've got to have their crew set up so that, all right, got a balance on this card. We got to quickly do x or y before the legitimate customer uses it and so on i guess right yeah. so there's a that's where the behavioral part comes in there's always that human interface that so maybe there's a vulnerability there an opportunity for us to do something right so so, so some of the things that we're that we're that we have done uh is build a system for detecting uh these illegitimate cards and it turns out you know you can imagine that when a when a retailer uh, that's listening to the podcast or a bank uh, they make gift cards. They they're made at these manufacturing facilities that have uh, really high end uh, mechanisms for for creating these cards. You know they they load a uh, they load a bunch of blank cards into a hopper and they go down this assembly line. Uh, you know at a relatively consistent speed, uh, as opposed to what we find that criminals uh, most often do is they use these inexpensive you know, $100 or so uh, card encoders, you know, something that you can put in your car, something that you can, you know, they're, they're very small, they're handheld almost. And, uh, and so these, these encoders actually have really low quality, uh, 
uh, encoding mechanisms inside there. And when I say encoding, I mean you know the ability to write the data to a magnetic stripe. Yeah, uh, and uh, so uh, we uh, we worked uh, we worked actually with Walmart on this, who provided us a number of. Uh, uh, blank uh, gift and stored value cards for our for our experiments, and we found that um, with incredibly high accuracy, we can determine at you know at the point of sale, for example, whether or not a card appears to be uh, manufactured in a legitimate facility. And so, you know, you could imagine using something like that uh, as another indicator for you know, hey, maybe we should you know visually inspect this card before we accept it. Okay, good. And uh, one question I had was, um, you know, as a behavioral scientist, I look for signatures, you know, unique digital or bio signatures, what a person looks like, their face, their ears, their hands, the way they walk, you know, things like that. And then, of course, there, there are digital signatures from their wearables, as you know, of course, and their phones and other portable devices, their vehicles and all these things. Um, are there other signatures or f- unique fingerprints? We know that uh, ATF and FBI can do can reverse and look at forensics and understand where this explosive device maybe came from. Who made this? They, there's telltale signs like safe crackers and the MO, the method of operation. Is there uh, do those things exist in the digital world as well? With some of the things we're talking about, is that something that could be developed in the future? I don't know. Yeah, almost certainly. So, you know. Uh, we don't, uh, for example, the, the work that I was just telling you about, about detecting uh, counterfeit magnetic stripes, uh, we, we can, today we're able to, to, to distinguish, you know, legitimate from not legitimate. Um, but, you know, with time, it could be possible to be able to say, well, we think that this was encoded by, you know, brand X encoder, which, you know, is a substantial narrowing of the possible space. Okay, uh, so there. going beyond binary, Legit, not legit, uh, not legit. Okay, now, boom, let's go to the next level. Is there, either we add that to the database or, right. hey, we may get a hit or it's telling us something. Right, exactly. Giving you some more clues. Right, exactly. And for us, you know, as academics, to be able to work on those problems, we need partnerships with card manufacturers, with retailers, with law enforcement to help us get those data points so that we can build those systems that can do those things. Yeah, that's excellent. I know... Our members now, the 70 chains uh, and the 76 now, I think, technology companies. And then we've got some of the manufacturers, the P&Gs and Bacardis and Cody's, Duracells and so forth of the world. But they want to add a few more. They like the transport guys, the UPS, FedEx, you know, as postal service. But the other one are the card guys. They would love to get Discover and MasterCard, Visa, American Express, and so on, come into this community to work together collaboratively uh, with all the solution partners, including UF and other academic institutions, and um, and then the other the scientists that we've got here on the behavioral side, and so I love that idea, and that's something that we love to build that capability in here and and work on those things. It's in everybody's best interest to to do that. And a big theme that we've got right now is trust. That a shopper she needs to trust that she will be safe and secure. Um, that you're going to be in stock for in, when she gets there to that shelf or that website, you're in stock. Uh, she needs to trust, though, also while she makes that transaction uh, in your store or online, that her data are not going to be, her personal information and so on are not going to be compromised. And I think it's that sort of total mutual trust, you know, by everybody that we're all working toward. 
I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting open problems in the payment security space, like what we've been talking about. And so, you know, what fundamentally what we want to do is we want to help build that trust. We want to, you know, build systems that are robust against these kinds of attacks. One of our research scientists, uh, I believe you know Stephanie Lin, um, she uh, just came back from a trip to China. And uh, Walmart China were amazing. They they hosted her and, and showed her around. But, of course, she reported back, as you well know, and many of our listeners, that nobody carried cash, nobody carried credit cards that she came across. Every, pretty much all proximate, close in, you know, readers of some description. And... Um, and we, so can you kind of address some of those types of transactions, current or potential vulnerabilities and things that we might look at it, uh, to jointly research on that? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, interest in, and in developing new electronic payment systems. You know, we have this really rich history, uh, here in the U S of, of payments, uh, going from cash to checks to credit and debit cards, and now smartphones and and apps and 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 so forth. Um, but you know, as you mentioned, a lot of a lot of other uh, economies are going essentially directly from cash to smartphone apps. And so, uh, we did a study a number of years ago of you know these uh, so-called mobile money apps, a person-to-person uh, payment apps and uh, found that you know, there were lots of different problems with these apps uh, that could put you know, customers at risk, that, that put their money at risk. Uh, and so you know, once we, um, you know, one of the nice things about these, uh, these types of apps is that you can stand them up quickly. Uh, but that also means that you know, enable, in being able to quickly adapt to the needs of your customers, uh, that there may actually be some security problems in doing so. And so uh, one of the things that we're really interested in is this, this space of digital payments, uh, whether that's apps or smartphones uh, or any other type of newer electronic payment system, and see, um, you know, to, to make sure that, that customers can trust those. Uh, because you can imagine that, you know, putting your, your money uh, into one of these apps and then finding out at some point in the future that your money is now gone uh, would, would be, you know, highly problematic. Uh, and so those are the kinds of problems that we're looking at. Okay. Are the, you know, there's a lot of talk and has been on near-field communications and things like that, but what's, we know what's near to maybe me as a layman in this area. What about to you all? I mean, what are intercept ranges roughly, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you hear people with Pringles cans in the parking lot trying to listen in the, to, the, to the transactions. What, what's that look like uh, from, where, from your perspective? Yeah, so uh, increasingly electronic payments are, being, are, are becoming more robust against copying, you know, the, one of the problems with magnetic stripes, of course, is that you can simply copy it. That's what, that's what we're talking about. Um, and that's, that's getting more and more difficult uh, over time. But so what criminals are starting to do is instead of trying to copy uh, the, the information that's on your phone, uh, is relay it. And so, you know, you can imagine what they do now instead of putting a skimmer on top of the, you know, where you tap your phone, the, the NFC terminal. Uh, 
and trying to trying to acquire some data that you can copy and make a clone of your phone, uh, what they'll actually do is make it to where when you tap your phone on there, your phone, uh, your you think you're talking to say this gas pump, uh, right? But really what your phone is talking to is some uh, terminal somewhere else. And so you tap your phone and now you, all of a sudden you've paid for someone else's transaction somewhere else. And the, the relaying can be done, uh, you know, over, you know, quite a long distance. Okay. So some sort of gate is opened and then, wow, okay. Yeah. So, so in, in effect, you know, the, what the criminals are doing is they're just moving the problem to another uh you know, to another point of the transaction. Okay. Always interesting. Um, so what are some other digital threats that you all are thinking about or seeing that a business might be up against and that law enforcement should start to know more about that we haven't talked about? Anything that comes to mind? Yeah. Um, so a really big one that, that we worked on uh, was the problem of ransomware, and I'm sure a lot of your I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, have heard of ransomware. But uh, for those of you who haven't, um, it's this uh, malicious software that tries to extort you uh, to get you to or to get your files back or control of your systems back. Uh, and so we we spent uh, quite a while looking at a, a lot of different ransomware samples to try to figure out. Uh, you know, what is, again, what is fundamental to this problem? I mean, you could imagine that, um, you know, these things have lots of capabilities. Uh, you know, they might try to talk out to the internet or they might, you know, show you uh, a certain kind of ransom message on your, on your system. But really it's not, it turns out that those things are not really fundamental to that problem. And so, you know, all it really has to do is, uh, you know, take these files that you might have on your, on your, on your corporate workstations, on your uh, your law enforcement records, uh, and then it's going to do some kind of you know transformation to those your your files, your vacation photos, or your uh, your uh, you know store records are going to go in on one side, and what comes out on the other side is some unrecognizable garbage, encrypted, if you will, yeah, and something like exactly, that. yeah, okay, uh, and. And so what we tried to do was rather than say, you know, of all of these, you know, programs, all of this software that you have on your machine, let's decide what is good and bad, uh, which is a very hard problem to solve. Um, we started to look at the transformation that happens to files to try and, and, and better detect, you know, when the, when the files are essentially being turned into garbage um, and, and intercede and, and stop it. From happening, so those are the those are other kinds of problems that we're that we're working on. So not just in the payment space, but you know more broadly in you know consumer and business protection. You know how can we stop these kinds of attacks from happening? All right, excellent. Excellent. I mean, it's so much of what we've touched on in, in our the time we've got has been amazing because again, if we go back to this trust issue, you know the the consumer the retailer, restaurateur, whatever, the law enforcement community, everybody's together, working together. Um, and these problems are creating breakdowns in trust on top of uh, huge, 
huge losses for everybody. Um, but that's resulting in avoidance behavior. People aren't going certain places or doing certain things that, you know, it's like terrorism. You're, you know, terrorism where you are genuinely afraid, so you avoid an action or a place and, and so forth that you really should be able to go and do. And, and so we really appreciate that. Um, so I would say, you know, Noel, I really want to appreciate you coming here today and talking to us. We've uh, really, really enjoyed working with you uh, here at UF. And, and for our listeners that don't know, uh, Nolan is graduating, graduated. He's now, that's why I say Dr. Nolan Scaife, um, and is conducting his interviews and so on. So wherever you end up, Nolan, you know, of course, we really, really want to stay in touch. And, and more importantly for us, selfishly, we'd like to continue to work with you uh, in any way that makes sense for you to do that. And uh, so... I appreciate you coming here today. Well, I I appreciate uh, I appreciate that, and working with the LPRC has been really fantastic. You know, a number of these projects would have been totally different or total non-starters without uh, without the help of your of your members and and the Impact Conference and all the great things that you do. We're this is a space that that we really love working in because we get to see you know as computer scientists we get to develop these things and and help solve real problems and so you know i want to continue to do that i know you guys want to continue to do that and so um i i will continue to work together i know okay fantastic following the recording of this episode tom Meehan and dr nolan scaife were able to discuss additional questions separately hello everybody uh tom Meehan here had a network issue so it's part two of the episode with uh, nolan scaife from the university of florida and uh going to have some follow-up conversation here. Uh, thank you again for joining us, Nolan. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I, I wanted to just have some follow-up questions really specific to the Skim Reaper and, and really how would someone go about getting it? So if you had a law enforcement agency or a retail security department that is looking to get one of these devices in hand, how would they do it? Yeah, so after the, after the academic paper came out, we had a, a number of folks that reached out to us directly. Uh, uh, the, our email addresses are on the paper, and so some, some folks found it that way. Some folks found it through uh, 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 press releases that had gone out from the university, uh, et cetera. Uh, but now, now we've launched a website, so you can go to skimreaper.com, and uh, you can sign up to get more information or contact us if you want to participate in our pilot program. Okay, great. And then, so as far as your pilot program, are there any things, uh, any pilots or any success stories that you could talk about today, places where it has been implemented successfully and or success stories? So the devices that are out in the field today are, are our research prototypes. So these were devices that we had made by hand. Uh, they take uh, several hours to make just one of them. They have 3D printed cases and so forth. Um, the pilot program is going to be for the first batch of our manufactured units. So we don't have any of these out in the field yet. Uh, we're still going through the prototyping and testing. Uh, it turns out, you know, when you make these kinds of hardware devices, they need various uh, levels of regulatory approval to be able to be sold in certain, uh, certain markets. So uh, we're going through that right now. And the pilot program is really for uh, organizations that want to, you know, be early adopters of this technology. They're going to get the first batches of our production run. If a retailer today wanted to learn more, is the website the best place? Should they email you directly? 
What's the best place for a retailer uh, specifically to get information? So the best way to get information on the Skim Reaper is from our website. Uh, there are two ways to sign up. You can sign up for the newsletter if you're just generally interested and want to know when we're going to start taking orders. You can sign up for that and we'll keep you in the loop. If you want to participate in the pilot program, there's a little bit of a longer form uh, and that goes directly to us uh, and we'll get you we'll get you added to the program. In the event that a, a retailer or a law enforcement uh, person starts a pilot with you, what are some of the use cases that you're looking at? So what's a real life use case if someone was to use this? How, how would they actually deploy it? What are some of the recommendations that you're making or your team is making? So one of the advantages that we see to the Skim Reaper, and, and we've talked to a number of banks and retailers and law enforcement agencies, is that the Skim Reaper allows them to put testing for skimmers uh, in the hands of someone who's not an expert uh, for of looking for skimmers, for example. So in the case of the New York Police Department, they can take these Skim Reapers and they can give them to, say, patrol officers uh, who can cover a wider area and check more frequently than the small number of highly trained uh, folks in the Financial Crimes Task Force. And that's how we see uh, this being deployed at uh, retailers and banks as well is that you know you don't necessarily need to uh, go through uh, extensive training to understand what to look for, how to check for a skimmer. You can simply you know swipe or dip the the skim reaper into the payment terminal and get an accurate result. And not to you know give up your secret sauce of how the device works, but you know is it. Is it just, does it look at the chip at all, or is it just focused on the mag stripe? You know, as from a high-level standpoint, is there anything you could share about the technical side of how it actually works? Yeah, so fundamentally what the Skim Reaper does is it counts the number of read heads that are present on the card acceptor. So, you know, you can imagine that you go to uh, your bank's ATM and you put in your card, and there is a magnetic stripe read head that's present in that slot. Uh, but uh, for what we call overlay or deep insert skimmers, these are kind of fully independent devices that, that go on or in the card slot. Um, they add, uh, overwhelmingly, this attack adds an additional read head. So, you know, when you put your card in, the ATM is reading it, plus the skimmer device is reading it. And so what the Skim Reaper detects uh, fundamentally is multiple read heads present in the slot. Very cool. And, you know, switching gears a little bit, um, you know, what other research are you involved in related to retail crimes? What can you tell me about trends related to returns or refund fraud? Is that something that you're working on in, with your group? This is something that we're really interested in. So, you know, outside of the kind of payment space that the Skim Reaper and the technology that we have for detecting counterfeit cards exists in, we're also really interested in other types of fraud that affects retailers. Um, but in order to in order to really make progress on these uh, on these problems, we need retail partners to help with us. So one of the one of the challenges that we have as academics is not being able to get a hold of large data sets for uh, for you know building systems that can detect this kind of fraud. So I, I think that's the kind of a typical thing we always deal with and. Um... 
I, I do think that's where the Loss Prevention Research Council has some benefit where we do get some reasonable sample sizes and some folks participating. There's obviously a privacy concern out there, but it's always uh, very interesting to hear what the in academia is going on. I think uh, sometimes if you're sitting on the other side of the fence, I spent you know over 20 years in retail and always struggled with is if is anybody else concerned with this, um, you know, because when you're you when you speak of refund fraud or return fraud or credit fraud, in some cases it becomes a victimist crime because it's very hard for people to understand who's actually being hurt. So um, I think you know that that's a that's a big one. And so you know from our perspective, Tom, you know contact us. Uh, tell us the kinds of problems that you have, and let's set up a meeting and talk. Because you now I know in the case of you know privacy concerns uh, and confidential data, you know I I have my own personal privacy and, and confidentiality concerns, and so you know we can work with retailers to help under, you know to help understand what we what data we need to be able to work on the problem versus what data, you know, could be potentially removed from the data set or obfuscated or changed in a way where we can still build solutions that work, uh, but without necessarily having to give over a lot of sensitive data. Great. I, I know that the listening audience uh, uh, is, is going to take note to that, and I wouldn't be surprised if someone reaches out based on that. When you talk about credit fraud overall, and this is a loaded question, I'm aware of that. So uh, uh, when you think of some of the changes we made in the United States with going to, um, you know, EMV or chip and pin, chip and signature, rather, uh, what what are your thoughts on that? What have what, if any, research have you done related to that? And where do you see that, you know, going in the near future and then maybe more in the distant future? Well, there's a lot of great research from the uh, academic research from the mid-2000s on the problems with EMV, the, the chip and pen or chip and signature protocol uh, that's out there. But what we're seeing today are not necessarily, uh, you know, the attacks that we see here are not necessarily uh, related to the technology per se. Um, but in the case of, uh, let's take, for example, gas pumps in the U.S., you know, I've I've never used my chip at a gas station in the U.S., and I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, haven't too. And 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 overwhelmingly, that's because of the cost of changing out the terminals. And so EMV represents this huge cost increase, uh, not only for uh, the, the merchants themselves, but also for the banks. You know, these cards cost on the order of dollars to produce versus magnetic stripes. The terminals have to be replaced and so forth. It's a very expensive um it's a very expensive uh, deployment cost for this technology. And so, um, you know, we're starting to see, you know, the, I wouldn't say a move away from it, but we're adding additional options for paying. Uh, you know, I know a lot of merchants, uh, including some of those that are listening, have rolled out their own QR code based payment and wallet mechanisms. We have smartphone payments that are coming around uh, as well. And each of these represents, in some sense, a lower cost of deployment. Uh, than than strictly moving to chips. So that's a, you know, I, I appreciate that. I know that's a loaded question. And there's a lot of pieces to it, but I think uh, uh, your your answer adds value. And um, I'm sure, you know, we'll want to have you back on the podcast to talk about some of the things that you're hearing with the contactless payment and some of the smartphone movements. Um, I travel internationally quite a bit. So 
what you see in Asia and Europe are starkly different than here. It's, it's um, actually, there are some places in, in Asia that I go to that you can't pay with anything but your smartphone. They don't even have an option anymore. Uh, so it's, it's definitely different. Yeah, and there are a lot of there are a lot of challenges that come along with smartphone payments too. I mean, one one seemingly obvious one, but one we don't talk about a lot is this this problem of identity. You know, for a lot of um, for a lot of us, especially your listeners, you know, we tend to think of this is my smartphone, and my smartphone is you know a one to one relationship with me. Um, but it's not hard to imagine families that have uh, fewer cell phone devices or no cell phone devices for, you know, a family of more than one person, you know, a, a family of two or three that shares a single device. And so, you know, some of the problems that we see in payments are, you know, how do we, you know, how do we link identity uh, to this digital payment mechanism um, where it's not necessarily one-to-one? -one? Yeah, definitely. I, I think the that's definitely going to be the challenge. And uh, to your point, I think the assumption is it's my phone, but even even more often is what, what role does biometrics play? And, and uh, I think the future is, is full of a whole bunch of interesting payment uh, things that are coming. And, you know, uh, constantly the, the analogy out there that cash is dead, which I, I don't believe based on everything I'm seeing, but I'm curious what the next wave is. And that's what we're that's what we're working towards. That's what we're that's fundamentally that's where we want to get is what do what should the next generation of payment systems look like? You know, if we look at the history of payments so far, they've been getting progressively more expensive. You know, I mentioned before that, you know, uh, chips and EMV are expensive to deploy. But in some sense, it's also expensive to deploy, you know, NFC and smartphone payments. I mean, rather than taking a two cent credit card to the merchant, now we're taking an $800 phone. And so this is, this is likely to lead to, you know, classes of security. And we don't want, you know, the most secure payment mechanisms to only be accessible to those that can afford them. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think it's a point that's uh, left on deaf ears often. So I only really have one other question, and so if for the greater listening audience, as we said when we started this podcast, that we have a huge audience of retail professionals, law enforcement, security professionals, and, and just folks uh, perusing the podcast seed. What's, if you had one piece of advice for someone to identify skimming out in the wild, what would it be? That's a, well, that's a great question. Um... For uh, so, Tom, you mean for identifying skimmers? Yeah, so really for a consumer base. So you, you know, you mentioned gas stations, and I think that's primarily what you see in the news is you know this gas station has skimmers. So if there was something, um, uh, the average person when they're out shopping, you get, pumping gas, going to ATM, could look for. What would your recommendation be to try to protect themselves? You know, with, based on all your research that you've done. So overwhelmingly. Our research has shown that all of the things that are available to consumers for finding skimmers fail in practice. Um, you know, you might you might say, well, I go to the gas pump and I pull on the card reader. Well, you know, uh, the vast majority of gas pump skimmers are actually inside the unit, uh, but also uh, we know that uh, that the attackers, the criminals that are out there, are 
making these to where they they stick on better or they clip on so that they're hard to remove and, and it's not really clear you know how hard you should have to pull on it to get you know a skimmer to come off but you know we've also deployed these uh, tamper evidence seals i'm sure you've been to a gas station tom that has a a seal uh, to show you, you know, if it's been opened. But, you know, we did this great work with um, the Florida Department of Agriculture that's going to be published here in a couple of months uh, that shows that, you know, in the vast majority of cases where a skimmer is found in the unit, uh, it's actually found uh, with a intact, correctly placed seal. So, you know, attackers as criminals are out there replacing the seals. And so my advice really to, to, to the consumers that want to um, you know, best protect themselves from skimmers, it's going to be avoid using a debit card uh, wherever possible. Use a credit card if you can. Um, you know, these tend to have uh, stronger consumer protections in place uh, for getting your money back in the case of a, of a skimmed card. Uh, and, in the, and, and especially uh, you're not using your own cash immediately. So you, it's not hard to imagine that if you use a debit card at a gas pump or in a retail location and it happens to get skimmed, you know, what they're going to do with that is try to withdraw cash. They're going to, even the purchases they make with it, with a debit card, it effectively come out of your bank account immediately. And so well, what you're trying to avoid is the risk of not being able to have that cash on hand to say pay bills. Um, or to make other purchases. And uh, credit card helps you stay safe from those threats. That is uh, great advice, and I'm sure everybody appreciate it. I wanted to just uh, thank you again for joining us uh, on the podcast. Uh, I'm sure that uh, we're going to ask you to come back again. Uh, you've been a great guest, and I know that we'll get some feedback and some questions. Uh, so thank you again for joining. Yeah, thanks. And, and to your listeners, please, you know, reach out to me. I'm sure uh, uh, the folks that um, I'm sure we can get you my email address. Contact me. I'd love to to talk with you about the problems that you have, or, or give a talk, or or whatever. You know, let's let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. So I'll say on behalf of uh, my colleague uh, Tom Meehan, uh, our producer Kevin Tran, uh, the LPRC team. Thank you again, uh, Nolan Scaife, for stopping by and helping all of us better understand the digital threats and what's being done out there. So everybody, please let us know your questions, comments, suggestions. Signing off from Gainesville today, this is the LPRC Crime Science Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.